believe you meant that as you were singing. Jesus is our cornerstone, the only foundation today. As I pray, could I encourage you not to listen to me pray, but let's cry out together to our Heavenly Father this morning. God, we acknowledge that truth today that you are our cornerstone, that firm foundation of our life, unmovable foundation. Father, we confess today that you truly are our only hope. We're acutely aware of that today in this season of unrest and uncertainty that we're living through. Father, as war rages on the other side of our world, you are the only hope. Father, I, I know that your heart is heavier than anyone else's as you see your creation destroy each other. As you see injustice and hatred and loss of life. Father, we just confess that you are the answer. I pray that you would bring hope to those in the midst of the conflict that feel hopeless and are full of fear and are running for their lives. Father, I pray that you would bring comfort to those who have lost loved ones. We pray that you would empower those in positions of influence that know you to be peacemakers, to offer hope, to bring about your purpose, to bring resolution and peace. That is our prayer, Father, today. May your will be done. Father, would you help each of us to do our part in praying? Help us to live lives that model unity and love our enemies and to be peacemakers in our corner of the world. May we be your hands and your feet and your heart to those around us. Lord, I know that even in this room this morning, there are folks who desperately need a touch from you. Maybe it's a medical um, illness that feels like there's no answer. May those folks see you as the answer. Fractured relationships. Maybe there's folks here this morning who have experienced a financial setback that feels overwhelming. Lord, some struggling with addiction, some that are in unbearable grief right now, some that have family members that are running far, far from you. Father, would you help us to encounter you in a way this morning that we are convinced and that we know that you are our only hope and that we could just lay those challenges and those anxieties in your hands and say, God, I trust you with that because we know that you're always working behind the scenes. You're always working on our behalf. You're always good, and you're always trustworthy and gracious. Thank you for that assurance today that you are our only hope, our true foundation. Father, as Ryan comes to speak now and open your word to us, as a body, we just say a collective big yes to whatever you have for us this morning. We want to hear from you. Have your way in these moments ahead, Lord. We love you. Amen. Amen. Feel free to be seated.
Good morning, New Life. My name is Ryan. I'm the worship pastor here. Today's a little bit different. Uh, Pastor Troy is actually taking some time off to go be with his family, and I think he's speaking right now at his son Cody's church. So you guys are stuck with me. Um, Good luck. It's going to be fun. Um, So one of the biggest things you guys need to know about me is that I am really ridiculously type A. Uh, The older that I've gotten, the worse that it's gotten. I like to have things under control. I like things to be a certain way. Uh, Everything has its place. You know, in fact, this is, this is how type A I am. Um, my wife, Liz, the first time that I saw her, obviously, I thought that she was the most beautiful girl that I had ever seen in my entire life. But the next thing that I found so ridiculously attractive about her was that she was consistent. Um, I, I doubt if you were about to do family feud and have a top five things that you find attractive about your spouse, consistency would break the top 100 you know, um, but that's how, that's how type A that I am, that I was super attracted to her consistency. So God bless her. She, uh, she felt sorry for me and kept talking to me um, and ended up dating. We got engaged. We got married. We started off on our perfectly consistent and organized life, got some jobs, ended up moving to a couple of different towns in apartments, bought our first house. And then we had our first kid, and we were doing great, you know. I felt like we were really acclimating pretty well to all the new rhythms of our life. We were doing a great job. And then we had our second kid. Um, So another thing you need to know about me is that I'm really type A, but I'm also a big introvert. So with my second kid, that was like life as I know it, and any sort of alone time was gone. I had to be on all of the time. And then as uh, my middle daughter got older... Then her personality started to come out. Uh, And Nora is the epitome of crazy. Uh, Liz told her one time, Nora, you have to to stop being so crazy. And Nora just looks at her straight face and says, but mom, being crazy is my thing. Uh, (laughs) Nora is just nuts, chaos all the time. She feels everything huge. I actually have a family picture that I feel like shows all of our personalities really well. There's, there's baby Josie just looking cute. Ella's really leaning into um, the caregiver instincts. Liz and I are trying to get some semblance of family pictures that will come out well. And Nora is just the center of attention. Uh, she is just large and in charge, and everything is about her. Uh, everything that she does, everything that she thinks is big. She feels big. She imagines big. Uh, there's another picture here. Um, she came downstairs a, a couple of months ago dressed like this for the whole day. I mean, you notice the cat ears on there, the really big socks with the boots. She was going to a dance party uh, with her boyfriend. His name is Kay. Um, and then after that, they were going to go on a date to a scary movie. Um, and that's how she decided to dress so that Kay could show her off to the rest of the world. This is, this is just Nora. She is my kid whose room is a complete mess all of the time. She's the kid that always leaves toys everywhere. She is just a bundle of energy and chaos every single second of her life. So like I told you guys, I'm an introvert. Um, Liz decided she was going to take the entire chaos a couple of months ago along with her mom, 
her sister-in-law and our niece to go to Chicago for a couple of days to go see Frozen on Broadway. So here I am just thinking about all of the video games I'm going to play, all of the Netflix I'm going to binge watch, all the food that I'm going to eat. In fact, guys, if you have not eaten 100 pizza rolls in 24 hours, I'm not certain that you guys have actually lived yet. Um, you need to try that once. It was great. I loved it. Um, for about six hours. And then I just felt like such a huge waste of space all the time. And I said to myself, you can't be sitting in the same place when your family gets back where they left you. You just can't. And there was this, there was, I had an indent in the couch from where I had been the entire time. So I said to myself, I can be productive I have a very limited skill set, but I can do something, and Liz's love language is acts of service. So I said, I'm going to clean the house. I'm going to go through, I'm going to vacuum all of the rooms, I'm going to pick up and organize all of the toys, even go into our bedrooms, vacuum, make the beds, pick up everything. I got to Nora's room, and that basically took the entire time. Um, but I cleaned up everything, and I was so excited for the moment that my girls came home because I was just really waiting for that big hug and kiss from Liz saying, thank you, I made the best decision 11 years ago to spend my entire life with you. You're the best husband in the entire world. I was ready for it. So they come home, I get that hug and kiss, thank you so much for cleaning, and I just hear weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth coming from upstairs. Nora screaming, Daddy, you destroyed my office. Where am I going to do my work? And just sobbing uncontrollably, inconsolable as she comes down. You see, she had created this scene in the midst of her chaos with a blanket and with lots of cardboard boxes and paper that she had created her own office in the room. And in my effort to be helpful and to bring some order to all of that chaos, uh, I ruined something that she created. Because uh, even in the midst of all of her chaos, that girl is so ridiculously creative. She's the girl that's always coming alongside and drawing and giving me gifts and giving me presents. And it reminded me of the story of creation and the chaos that God was dealing with. It says in Genesis 1, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty, darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. You see, God's not a stranger to chaos. As he's hovering over this vast chaos, he starts flexing his creative muscles. He starts separating dark from light, the sky from the ground, the sea from the land, starts creating animals and sea creatures and birds he even separates day and night and gives us a way to be able to quantify time and seasons. And then it all culminates in the creation of humanity. It continues and says, So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all of the beasts of the earth, 
and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. I just want to take a moment. If you guys haven't heard it today, God really loves you. And he's really proud of you. You were created on purpose, and you were created for a purpose. And when he created you, he said that you are very good. There are a couple of things out of this story and out of this narrative that I want to pull out. Uh, The first one is that God invites us into the creative process. We saw that scripture where it says, be fruitful and increase in number. And that's something that God invites us along in the process with. And I remember holding my daughter for the first time, my, my oldest daughter in the hospital room, and just looking at her and looking at this person that didn't exist before and this eternal being that I'm holding and just thinking to myself, how did this happen? Um, how, how did God trust me with this? Only God creates. And yet he asks me to be a part of that and to bring something that didn't exist before into being. And I'm sure some people in this room have kids and had moments like that where you look at your child and you say, this is crazy that God has asked me to do this and that he trusts me with this. Some of you guys play music. Some of you guys might have written music. Uh, some of you guys watch TV or movies or read or, or paint or things like that. Humans are a uniquely creative being. We're constantly creating. And it's not just in that realm of typical creativity that we think, right? You guys have started new relationships before, things that didn't exist. You've been a part of a team. Maybe you started an initiative at work that didn't exist before. And maybe it's not even tangible stuff. Have you ever heard the term making memories? Those are things that didn't exist before, that you're a part of the creative process in emotions or being able to create emotions in other people or create environments. I mean, I'm sure you guys know that one person that they are just so influential with their attitudes that if they're having a good day, you really know about it and it affects the rest of the room. Or if they have a bad day, it really affects the room. And that's all of us. All of us are creating. We're all creative beings and continually creating. The next thing that God gives us, God, God gives us a job to do. He, he has this rhythm that he has created of chaos and order and that being achieved through the act of creating. And he invites us into being a part of that ordering process. It continues to say, so the Lord formed from the ground all the wild animals and all the birds of the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And the man chose a name for each one. He gave names to all of the livestock, all the birds of the sky, and all the wild animals. God invites us into that. He asks us to be a part of the ordering and the naming and the creating and the, and the rule-creating part of it. I wonder, I wonder how many people in this room are teachers, specifically teachers with young kids. Um, could you imagine your classroom with no rules. That would, that would just be complete and utter anarchy. I have one seven-year-old. I couldn't imagine what it would be like to have 25 seven-year-olds that had free reign to do whatever they want. It would just be nuts and chaos. 
rules and order are really good things. We have rules in our jobs, ways that we know that we can be successful. We have rules in our music. We have rules in the sports we watch or the sports that we play. Uh, we're even a part of creating and ordering and developing routines in our lives. Routines are really good because they allow us to focus on and give time to the things that are important to us. Uh, we think about things like creating habits in our life to spend time with Jesus. I wake up at a certain time in, my, in, in the day so that I can have time that I spend with God. Um, we create diet plans or nutrition plans or workout plans so that we can take care of our bodies. These are all really, really good things that we create order in our lives. And these are great ways for us to be able to be uniquely productive uh, for us to honor God with the gifts that he's given us. I mean, even think of where we're at right now. We're, we're in an organization that is called a church that was able to be put together so that we could make more of a difference in this world with all of these people than we could make by ourselves. So, so order and rules are a really good thing. But we also know the internal tension that we feel when those foundations start to crumble. And again, God's not a stranger to that either. If you're going to read a little bit further in Genesis, you read the story of Adam and Eve giving into temptation, eating fruit from the tree that God asked them not to, having sin enter the world, and then through Jesus Christ, this process of God continuing to bring the entirety of creation back to him. Like, God is not scared of or a stranger to chaos in that level. But for me, when I deal with chaos, I get mad. Um, I get frustrated. I get anxious. I get annoyed. You know, it could be small things. One of the recent ones for me is my kids were just taking way too long to get ready for bed. That was really frustrating for me. Um, it could be another thing like you decide you're going on vacation and you're going to have a cheat week from your nutrition plan and turns into a cheat five years. Um, that I, I think I'm on year five right now of that cheat five years. Um, it could be really small things like that, but it could also be really big things. What do we do and how do we handle when chaos comes in and it just starts to destroy everything. It can be our decisions, right? We could be the authors of our chaos. We can make decisions in our life that uh, we have to deal with the consequences of, that we've hurt people. It can be the decisions of other people, people that we really love, that we care about, that we trusted, that have done something to us to really hurt us deeply. It could be a broken relationship, it could be a broken marriage that you're struggling to, to work through. And sometimes, and this might even be the hardest, is how do we deal with the chaos that's really difficult to explain? Like we get a medical diagnosis we weren't expecting. Someone that's really close to us that we were expecting to be around for a really long time passes away. Maybe we were trying really hard to have kids. We finally got pregnant and and we had a miscarriage. How do we deal with that level of pain and hurt and chaos in our lives? It begs the question, at least for me, what do I trust? 
Do I choose to trust the creation or the creator? These are, these are really good things. You know, God invites us into this ordering process. We can honor God with, with these things that we've done. But they're going to fail. They're going to fail at some point. And, and what do we do when our chaos grows bigger than the order that we have used to kind of contain it through God's help? What do we do with that? I think probably my biggest worry is that we end up realizing or thinking that God's not big enough to handle it. That maybe we believe that God is only able to work or do things in those nice, pretty, neat structures that we've created, and once those fail, does that mean that God's failed? Those are, those are really hard questions to navigate and to walk through. I'm reminded of the story of Joseph in the Old Testament and just a little, uh, a little context. Joseph is a descendant of Abraham, who is the father of the Hebrew people. And Joseph was one of the youngest of 12 sons, and his dad loved him more than all of the other sons. So, coupled with some of his brother's jealousy and his inability to have tact in his life, Joseph ends up getting thrown into a pit and sold into slavery. And, you know, guys, I think we, we give our siblings a bad rap. Um, imagine going up to your siblings and having this really awesome present that your parents gave you and flaunting it because they didn't get it, and then looking at them and saying, hey, I had a dream where you're going to bow down to me. Um, imagine how your siblings would respond. I mean... The worst thing that ever happened to me is my sister pulled my shoulder out of socket because she was trying to give me a hug. You know, I, I could give her a lot more credit than I give her. Um, so Joseph, he ends up getting thrown into this pit and sold into slavery. And he finds favor. He finds favor in Potiphar's house, who he's serving, and gets elevated to second in command. And then hits keep coming he gets accused of doing something that he didn't do. So he gets thrown into jail. Starts to cycle over again. He finds favor. He gets elevated into a place of authority where he's second in command in the jail. And there's these two guys that walk in. that get put in jail. Pharaoh's chief cupbearer and chief baker. And they both have dreams. And they get connected with Joseph. And this is what's so crazy. After all of this stuff that happens... They get connected with Joseph and they say, hey, we have these dreams. Can you interpret them? When he has an opportunity to really bring glory to his own name, he says interpreting dreams is God's business. And he just automatically gives all of that glory and that honor back to God. So he ends up interpreting these dreams. The chief baker is going to die in a couple of days and the chief cupbearer is going to get restored to his position and he says to the chief cupbearer, hey, when you go back and you see Pharaoh, I've been wrongly imprisoned. Remember me so that I can get out of here. Two years pass. He forgot about him. And then Pharaoh has a dream and this clicks for the chief cupbearer. I know this guy. Let's bring him in. So he comes in to see the Pharaoh, and again, for the second time, he says, I have this dream. Can you help me interpret it? 
Again, he just gives all the praise and glory to God and says, I'm not capable of doing these things. God is the one who's capable of doing these things. So he hears this, this dream, and he's able to interpret it and say there's going to be seven years of bumper crops, and then there's going to be seven years of famine. And Pharaoh says, hey, I'm going to elevate you. Second in command, only to me in Egypt. And you're going to help us navigate this famine and take care of the Egyptian people. In fact, the famine is so wide-reaching that it actually goes outside of Egypt and it starts affecting Joseph's family. So his brothers end up showing up. And if I'm Joseph, this is the gotcha moment, right? <laughs> I can't believe what you guys did. Now I have the power and the authority. It's all about me. And that's not the route that it goes for Joseph. He ends up saying in Genesis 50, you intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. He brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many people. I mean, I can't, I can't even imagine having that level of faith and surrender after dealing with all of those different hits that Joseph had to deal with and to have that level of submission to God that he was going to create something new that was going to make a huge difference in the world and then to have that level of forgiveness with his brothers. But I've realized that that's the way that it goes sometimes, right? Sometimes out of our deepest pain and our deepest hurt, we see the biggest victories that God can have. I know for me, uh, seven years ago, Liz and I had just had our first kid, and we were making ends meet financially, so we decided that we were going to, you know, in an effort to save some money, we were going to increase our yearly deductible on our health, health insurance, and we were going to decrease our monthly premium because we were relatively young and healthy kids, and we weren't planning on having another kid. Um, so I get a phone call when I'm at work. And it's Liz crying, and I hear my seven-month-old uh, crying in the background, and she says, I need you to come home right now. Uh, you need to take me to the emergency room. Um, she was trying to make some food for our daughter and reached up to the top of the pantry to get the food processor, and it fell down, and she caught the business end of the food processor blade in her hand, severed her tendon. and um, we, had, we had a surgery expense that we weren't expecting to pay for that year. Uh, then a couple of weeks passed, and our car broke down. And we weren't prepared to be able to handle that and um, figure out how to get another car so that we can continue to do our jobs. And I remember sitting with Liz in our living room, and we were going over our monthly budget, and she was letting me know where we were standing and what the extra expenses were going to be. And we were just hemorrhaging money. Um, and I just remember feeling like such a failure that I wasn't able to care for my wife. I wasn't able to take care of her. I wasn't able to take care of my seven-month-old daughter. Um, just feeling like such a failure. And then I asked a really dumb question. Um, I asked her how much we were tithing. Uh, and she told me, and I was able to do some pretty quick math and realize that if we 
decided to stop tithing, and we'd be able to make ends meet. In fact, we'd be able to have a little bit of money uh, to give us a little bit of margin. I was really lucky growing up um, to have really good parents that loved Jesus, that were able to express to me the importance of honoring God with our finances. So, so giving back to God um, the first fruits that he gave me was a part of was a part of our routine, was a part of our habits, you know. It was never like that before. Um, I was faced with a decision. Who was I going to trust? Was I going to trust myself and, the own, and my own path that I saw for us to be able to move forward and to make ends meet on our own? Or even when it didn't make sense, was I going to trust that God was going to take care of us? And uh, we decided we were going to keep giving. We decided we were going to keep honoring God. And through that, our church was ridiculously generous and was able to support us through some of our medical expenses. We were able to find a car that fit within our budget, and we were able to make it out. But I remember that season in my life feeling so empty and because of that, I have such a deeper level of trust in God's faithfulness when I submit and surrender to him, even when it does not make any sense to me. And that wasn't the first time. Um, I remember being 17 years old um, and watching my entire family crumble around me and wondering if my parents were going to stay together um, and feeling in that moment that God was talking to me. And um, that was the moment that God was asking to give my life to be able to serve him and to serve his people. And that wasn't the last time either. Uh, this year, this year's been really tough for us. Um, about a year ago to this day, we made the decision that God was releasing us from the place that we had given our entire adult life and ministry to for the past 10 years, that he was releasing us and he was saying, I have something different for you. And I came with a lot of stress and a lot of anxiety because we didn't know what that was going to be. Uh, we made that decision without having a next place that we were going to go. Um, and then with all of that, we deal with the grieving process, you know, 10 years of relationships with friends that ended up becoming family that loved us well, that loved our kids well. We had to deal with the interview process of trying to figure out where God was leading us to and um, were we going to pick the right place? Spoiler alert, we did. Um, so we picked the right place. Um, then dealing with the pain of our kids. All of our kids were dealing with their entire relationship structure being ripped out from underneath them selling a house buying a house being a little bit transient and having to live with our um, live with our in-laws for a little bit getting our kids enrolled in in class and then Liz's dad died um, and it just felt like everything kept hitting and kept coming and uh, I know that there are people in this room that have dealt with such 
difficult and painful things. Um, but I know for me, during this past year and this past season of my life, I had moments where I was having really tough conversations with God about whether or not um, being in church ministry was still what I was supposed to do. Um, I have really good friends that love Jesus that have had unspeakable things happen in their lives that don't have a relationship with Jesus anymore. And I'm really thankful during this season that that's not where I ended up, um, that I never lost any sort of faith in my relationship with Jesus. But it's really scary being able to see how I could have gotten there. Um, I'm sure that there are people in this room that are dealing with similar things, similar types of pain and hurt and difficulty, and questions, and um, I just really want to ask you this question, because I've been asking myself this question, is God big enough to hover over all of my chaos? And if he is, am I willing to surrender my chaos back to him, so that he can create something new in my life? Um, I want to tell you guys today, God is really big. Um, and there is nothing that surprises him. There is nothing that he can't handle and that he can't deal with. And if that's you and you're struggling and you're dealing with something and you're struggling with having questions and being angry and being frustrated and needing to have really difficult, hard conversations with God, he's big enough. And there's a great space to do that here. I'm reminded uh, in scripture about altars and why altars were created and altars being a place that commemorated a place where someone met with God face to face. And that can happen here, right here. Um, so I don't know if that's you. I don't know if as we continue to sing and to worship that you just need to realize that there is space for you to come here and to have a conversation with Jesus. And maybe it's a really honest one where you're just struggling and you're wanting answers and you're upset maybe, you're angry, you don't understand but I promise you that he is big enough. That he is big enough to hover over whatever that pain is, whatever that hurt is, whatever that chaos is. And he wants to make something new in your life and in your heart that you can't even fathom or imagine how good it is. So I want to take a moment, um, if you guys wouldn't mind, bow your heads, close your eyes. Because while I know that there are stories like that in here of people that have been living out their relationship with Jesus and are continuing to live out 
their relationship with Jesus as they wrestle and as they deal with and as they fight and as they allow God to handle and manage the chaos that's in their life. I'm also sure that there are people that have been really trying to put it together themselves without God's help. Um, and at the end of the day, um, we're just left with feeble attempts to try to create our own order and we're left with nothing. And maybe you haven't given your life to Jesus before. Maybe this is the moment that you're feeling God tug on your heart, that he's saying, I've got something for you. I want you to let me in. I want to start a relationship with you. I've already paid the price on the cross for you. Let me in. Let me help order that chaos in your life. Let me do something new in your heart that you can't imagine or fathom. If you haven't given your life to Jesus and you want to right now, this is that moment for you. I just ask that with our heads bowed, with our eyes closed, if that's you, just, just raise your hand. We're believing and we're trusting. God wants to show up and he wants to do something incredible in your heart and in your life. Let's pray together. Jesus, in the middle of this, as we wrestle, as we struggle, as we have pain and as we have hurt and as we have chaos that emerges in our life, Jesus, we just come to you and we acknowledge that you are good and that you are big enough to handle it. You aren't scared. You aren't scared of any of the emotions that we're dealing with. And that Jesus, in the midst of the chaos, you're inviting us in to a deeper understanding of you so that you can do something in our hearts and our lives, that you can create something new that's far greater than we could ever think or imagine. Jesus, I just pray for all of the hearts and all the stories that are in this room. And you come alongside that we know that you are here, that you don't leave us or forsake us. pray that we feel and that we experience your presence as you continue to help us grow and mold and become more like you. Amen.
It's been great worshiping with you today. You are dismissed. And avoid the delay, but I don't have to make feeling down and defeated the place that I stay. Gonna rise to the moment, gonna speak to the ways, gonna push back the doubt that keeps dragging me down when I can't.